get our Bibles out. We're going to open to Ephesians chapter 6. Now, if you're new with us, we started back in the spring studying through the book of Ephesians, verse by verse, and we are closing in on the very end. We're in chapter 6. That's on page 1082. You can grab that pew Bible in front of you, turn to that page, follow with us. If you don't have a Bible, take that home. It's our gift to you. Or if you know someone who needs a Bible, bring them that and give it to them so they can have a copy of God's Word. Just by way of uh, reminder, starting point uh, is going on this right now. It's the second week, so if you missed last week, you can come on. It's going to be in the loft as soon as this service is over. Uh, come get to know us. Let us get to know you. It'll be a blessing to you. Also, uh, D groups, you know, in a few weeks, you're going to be starting a study on evangelism, and there's a supplemental material, the Master Plan of Evangelism. It's in the bookstore, so they're there if you want them. Go pick those up, so you'll be ready in a few weeks when we get to that point. So we started talking last week about Pastor Matt did a great job introducing us to this uh, conversation about spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6. And I want you to just think about how we got where we are. God creates the world. He creates man and woman. He creates them to live in harmony with him. Everything is wonderful. There's no death. There's no sickness. There's no evil. There's no suffering. There's perfect fellowship and communion between them and God. But then sin enters the picture, separates us from God. Ever since, we've been longing for His presence. We've been struggling with this separation. We've been thirsting for Him, grasping for what we know is empty inside of us. But all along, God had a plan. He always knew He would reconcile Himself to us through His Son. A way that He would wonderfully restore our relationship with Him. And He declared, it is finished on the cross. Sin no longer is a dividing line between us and God. Everything from the cross until now is God building momentum toward the culmination of His plan when He returns and establishes His kingdom forever and ever. But in the meantime, there are spiritual forces at work And they're bigger than me and you. And they're working to resist this momentum. Understand, they cannot stop what God is doing. But they hate what God is doing. And when we look around the world... 
these two opposing forces are evident. You see, we see beauty. We see sunrises and we see babies being born and we see baptisms and we see beautiful things. But on the other hand, we see evil and we see brokenness and we see hurt and pain and suffering. And there's only one thing that I know of that everybody in the world can agree on. And it's the statement that things are not the way they ought to be. Because these forces are at work. We feel this internal pressure every day to do things we know we ought not do. Why is that? They're the remnants of a war that's already been won, but we have to remember God and Satan are not at war. There's no war between them. That war is over, and it never was a war. Satan never had a chance. But don't discount the reality that for us, there's a very real enemy who is resisting at all cost that which he knows is inevitable. He knows it's inevitable. But he works every day with everything he can to resist it. Now let's read together Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. We'll catch up last week. Finally, so at the end of everything that we've talked about over the last six months, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, just by way of reminder, what those verses need to mean to you, if you have your listening guys, get them out. They need to mean to you that the enemy is outmatched by the armor not by me. We heard that in one of the testimonies this morning. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. It's not me and you be strong. It's not in our might. It's in His So the question this morning as the passage continues is, how? How? How do we do this? How does this happen? And look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. 
Now, I know that most of us in the room are very familiar with this passage, and you, you certainly have been exposed to conversations or studies or things that, about the armor of God. So let's make sure that we don't have anything twisted, because a lot of times we get things twisted. Paul is not, God is not introducing something new. It's not like the book of Ephesians is saying all these things and then you come to Ephesians 6 verse 10 and God's going to introduce us to this new thing called the armor of God. That's not what's happening. What the Bible's doing is reemphasizing what has already been said. Every single thing about the armor of God is contained in Ephesians. This isn't new information. This is just a condensed uh, metaphor to help us understand what we need to know as Paul winds this down to a close. Second of all, Paul is writing under house arrest Spending all day, every day, staring at a Roman soldier who's guarding him. And so, of course, it's easy to see that he's looking at this Roman soldier. And so he's like, well, here's an illustration that I can use. I can just use this armor illustration because I'm looking at a soldier who's wearing armor. But listen very closely. God is in no way limited by what Paul can see. That is not the reason why we're having a conversation about the armor of God. It's not because Paul's looking at a soldier. God has the freedom to use anything to make this clear to us. And he could have very easily done that. So God uses this military metaphor for a very specific reason. Not because it was convenient. Not because it would make sense. A lot of things would have made sense. A lot of things would have been convenient. But for a very specific reason... I wonder why that is. I want you to wonder why that is. Why this? Why are we going to take all that we've said about the gospel and about the new reality and who we are in Christ and our identity in Christ and all of these things, and why are we going to bring it down to victory contained in armor? Why that? What is it that that communicates that using something else would not? Armor illustrates the difference between agreeing and obeying. This is so important for you to understand. If you don't know the difference between agreeing and obeying, then you're about to, and you may understand for the first time in a very simple way 
why you're unsuccessful in dealing with spiritual warfare. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and the truth of the matter is is that you get defeated all the time. And you try and you try and you try to stop doing this and you try to, you know that it's wrong and you want to quit or you, whatever the case may be and you never seem to be able to get victory over things. Well, I'm about to explain to you probably the reason why. And it's because you don't know the difference between agreeing and obeying. And what you've been doing is you've been trying to, to operate, relate to God through agreement which will not work. What do I mean? Here's what I mean. When you go to work on Monday and your boss tells you to do something, you mistakenly sometimes believe, well, I have to do it because my boss told me to do it. That's not true. You don't have to do it. You can quit. You can walk out. The reason you do what your boss tells you to do is because you agree with it. In other words, you come to a mental agreement that either, even if you don't want to do it or don't like doing it, having that job is better than not having that job, so you make the choice to do it. You don't have to do it. You choose to do it. You agree to do it. It's the same thing with with all sorts of areas of our life. We read the Bible and we go, well, this applies to my life. This makes sense. I agree with this. Then I'll do it. That's agreeing. Obeying is a completely different thing. The reason that the Bible uses a military metaphor is because soldiers don't agree they obey. A soldier doesn't hear a command from his commanding officer on the battlefield and say, you know what, I don't want to do that, I quit. You can't do that. Soldiers obey because if they disobey, everyone's life is at stake. You see, to obey has a component that separates it from agreeing, and here's what it is. In order to obey, there must be submission. When you obey God, you submit to God. You submit to His will. You submit to the fact that, you know what? I may have an opinion about things, but God knows what I don't know. He's smarter than me. I trust him. I don't trust myself. Agreeing is this banter between you and yourself and what God says, and you figure out that you, you know, think about this, and this is how it's going to work, and then you agree with it. And so what happens when you agree with God, you don't obey God in the areas that are hard or don't make sense to you or make you uncomfortable or are going to be hard for you. You're saying to yourself, I don't know, Tony. Oh, yeah, you do. You do. 
Because every time, see, in other words, this morning, you ready? Put, put your seatbelt on. This morning, some of you decided that you'd go to church today. You decided that today. And there's some people that aren't here this morning. You know why? Because they decided not to. And then there's other people in this room that they didn't decide to come to church this morning because there was never anything to decide. That had been decided a long time ago. That's the difference. See, some, some of you in the room, you read the Bible and then you go, yeah, I, I'm going to take the day off. I'm going to call in sick. That's agreeing. That's not obeying. Jesus was a man under orders. And so if there's any part of you that's resisting what I'm saying, well, then this will put that to rest. Because Jesus was a man under orders. John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. All of this should sound familiar because most of it I said earlier in Ephesians. Like I said, there's nothing new introduced. This is simply re-emphasizing what he's already said. John chapter 5, verse 30, I can do nothing, Jesus says, of my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The reason God uses the metaphor of the armor to bring about victory. Listen, the armor of God is not just something you read about in the Bible. What the armor of God is talking about is... There's only one way to be successful against spiritual warfare. There's not five different ways. There's one way, and only one way, and it is the armor of God. And apart from the armor of God, there is zero chance that you'll ever be successful against spiritual warfare. It's the only way, and there's no other way, and there's no hope apart from it. And so before, there's, there's no point in me having a conversation and teaching you about all the pieces of armor. What, that is useless and pointless. If your approach is going to be to agree with the armor, forget it. It won't work for you. Because it doesn't work that way. It's a military metaphor because you have to have a military mindset in order to operate in the armor. No one has ever, nor will they ever, put on the armor in agreement. It will not work. You put it on in obedience. And there is a huge difference between those two things. 
And so, how does the Bible lead us into this conversation about armor? I want you to notice verse 14. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, some of you remember being in VBS as a kid. Some of you, you know, were friends with Moses. And you remember flannel graphs and things of that nature. And so we have all these different ways that we've interacted with the armor of God. And here's what I wonder. I wonder if you ever stopped and thought to yourself, a belt? Now, a breastplate, I get that. A sword, I get that. Boots, I get that. Helmet, makes sense. Now, none of you has ever put your belt on and went, got my armor today. Which it is kind of armor, because if your pants fall down, that's going to be a problem. A belt? Think about a belt. It's all the pieces of armor are either offensive or defensive, except the belt. It's neither. It's not offensive or defensive. It really, it's not even armor. So why first? Because listen, I'm telling you, everything in this passage of Scripture about spiritual warfare is not only very specific, but the order in which it's given to us is very specific. The belt is first for a very important reason. It's different than the other pieces for a very important reason. How did a belt function for someone who is at war? You understand that in this context, a soldier would be wearing a tunic and he would have a belt. And before he could enter into any sort of warfare situation, he would have to pick it up and tuck it in to the belt so that he could maneuver, so that he could run, so that he could be agile, so that he could engage in warfare. The function of a soldier's belt, basically the easiest way to understand this, is to keep him from tripping. That's a good way for you to remember this. It's to keep him from getting tripped up. See, truth keeps us from tripping. That's what it does. And, and the belt of truth is not talking about the Bible because that wouldn't make any sense because later on we're going to come to the sword of the Spirit, which it says is the, the Bible. So we don't have two pieces of the Bible. So what is the belt of truth? It keeps us from tripping. It's those thoughts in your head that say, 
You're never going to change. You're a lost cause. God doesn't care. There's no hope. This is all going to end in failure, just like it always does. This is a foundational understanding that all of the armor that follows is propped up on. It sits on. It's going to hold up everything. Spiritual victory always begins with this principle, the belt of truth. And the belt of truth is, is, remember earlier in Ephesians when Paul said, put away all falsehood? And then a few verses later he said, and lying. And so he wasn't talking about lying. He was talking about something that was a lie, but different than telling a lie. He's talking about lying to yourself. You see, this is what, it, it, it surprises me, honestly. It really does, which, you know, I'm ashamed to say because nothing should surprise me, but few things do. But one thing that does is I am surprised today at the things people believe. The lies people believe still shock me. The fake news, the nonsense, the propaganda that's perpetuated in our culture that people latch on to. Believe me, I've thought a lot about this over the last few years. The things that sensible, seemingly intelligent, normal people read online and then repost it as if you don't have a single working brain cell. You believe that? You literally think that's true. Are you kidding me? Why do we do that? It's because we feel something. When when we read something, like we see something online. Now, if we stopped and thought about it, intelligently, we would come to the conclusion, it's probably not true. But because it attaches to our feelings, because it's something we're passionate about, because it's something where we've experienced recently or connects to our life in some way, we, we latch on to it emotionally because something inside of us wants to believe it. We want it to be true. It communicates something we like, so therefore we go with it. You see, that, the thing is, is I can tell a lot about you by the lies you believe. And you can tell a lot about me by the lies I believe. Because they tell us what's in our heart. What, we can, what are we connected to? See, why do, we listen to, why do we listen to the lies that are in our head? Because the lies that are in your head are different than the lies that are in the head of the person next to you that are different from the person in front of you that are different. We all have these different lies in our head, but we listen to the ones in our head. 
And why do we do that? We listen to lies because we resonate with them. We resonate with these lies. These aren't just random lies about anything. They impact us. They resonate with us. They connect to you somehow. That's why your, your life isn't, you don't replay this tape in your head over and over and over of this random stranger who said something hurtful to you. But what your mom or dad said to you is just as clear right now as it was decades ago. You see, it's not what was said. It was the emotional connection of who said it. See that? And so when you hear something and it connects to something that you feel, some wound inside of you or some experience that you're passionate about, you want it to be true. See, even if it's negative and, it's, and you're passionately against something, you want it to be true. It resonates. That's why we believe it. See, we prefer convenient lies over inconvenient truth every day because we want it to be true. So many examples of this, just in the little bit of time we have. How many times have I had a conversation with a parent? All those years of doing youth ministry. I sit down with parents and I said, listen. I think your kid is on drugs. Oh, no, impossible. First of all, no, it's not impossible. Second of all, I wouldn't be telling you this if I didn't honestly believe this. Well, I don't think that's possible. I literally went to some, I said, can, can I come over to your house when your kids are at school and the three of us will search his room together, okay? Open the drawer, dump out the socks. Well, would you look here? First thing out of mom's mouth, well, that can't be his. That's right, the drug fairy put it there. That's how that got there. Convenient truth, it can't be my kid. It can't be my, I don't, inconvenient truth is, it's, it can't be. Marriage all the time. People, my marriage is fine. Like, I hear how you talk to each other. I'm like, hey, is everything okay? Yes, fine. Are you sure it's okay? Yes, fine. I don't think it's okay. Yes, everything's great. You sure you don't need to talk to somebody? No, don't need to talk. Everything's good. We don't want to hear inconvenient truth. We just tell ourselves what we want to hear, and everything's going to be okay. But listen, in a, in a moment, look, that mom and dad, when I was in their teenager's room, 
standing there with the sock drawer. If I told them that story about another family a hundred out of a hundred times, they would have said, yeah, that kid's on drugs. But when it's their kid, See, the lies that you tell yourself about yourself and about the people around you and the world around you, they have to be perpetuated to stick, don't they? See, lies that aren't repeated are forgotten. It's the ones that just keep going and going. And which, which are the ones that keep going are the ones that we most emotionally connect to. Whatever lie in your head you're most deeply connected to, emotionally connected to, that's the one that plays more than the other ones. See, you filter out a lot of lies every day. But all Satan needs to do is get one to stick. I mean, he's shooting them at you all day, every day. And he gets, it, it's not a bazooka, it's darts we're going to learn in the next couple of weeks. They're just little darts. Just trying to get them to stick in your head. See, Satan can't control your thoughts. Satan can't get in your mind. So you say, well, how did these lies get in my mind? Well, how do you think they got in your mind? The same way everything else got in your mind. Through what you see or what you hear. Does anybody have any problem understanding that Satan has a, a field day of access to what you see and what you hear every single day, doesn't he? That's how he gets them in there. And once he gets one to stick, it's there. Then he gets another one, and it's there. And there's so many lies that we tell ourselves that if we're not careful, they start to overwhelm us. To put the belt of truth on is to, is to get these lies out of our head. Now, how do we do that? We bring them into the light. The reason they're in your head and they're going and going and going is because the only place they are is in your head. You know that? So you say, well, how do I? Here, here's the first thing. The easiest step. In other words, the least inconvenient truth for getting them out in the open is first and foremost, what my recommendation is always start journaling your thoughts. Because in a moment of clarity, when you read what you've written down, you're like, wow, I'm really messed up. You start writing down what you think. And then you come back and read it and go, or show that to somebody and go, hey, I found this. <laughs> what do you think this says about this person? Yeah. Get it out in the light. Journaling is a great way to help you recognize what's going on because you can't recognize a problem if you, I mean, you can't solve a problem you don't recognize is there. Now, trust me, if you're sitting there thinking, well, I wonder if I have lies in my head. Yes! 
I can answer that question. 100% yes. It's just a matter of what they are and how many they are and how devastating they are uh, holding you captive. You can't let those lies set up camp. So you got to start with truth. You got to start with the belt of truth. What, what kills lies? Truth. Truth is what kills lies. So you got to start with what's the truth in my head about who I am in Christ. And how do I figure that out? Well, you see, because every day you're going to face challenging situations. There's going to be unpredictable moments. There's going to be things that stress you out and cause you anxiety or, or hurt or depression or whatever the case may be. And so what you know to be true is that God is a very present help. Because that's what he says. That... Or, or that you're somehow insufficient. But the Bible says that it's God's will that none should perish. So if it's available to anyone, it's available to you. Or whatever the, whatever the struggle is, no matter how alone you may feel or tell yourself in your head, the Bible says you're not, you're not forsaken. God's with you. See, although this is happening to you, although you're facing this great temptation, you're in this moment, though you're going through a difficult situation, God knows it. And God wants to use it. Teenagers just told you, God wants to use it for His glory. But if you're just letting this play over and over in your head and convince you of all these things... You have no chance in the battle without an identity in Christ. A broken identity is guaranteed failure in the spiritual realm. So what do I want you to know this morning as we just introduce ourselves into this conversation? It's this. You have the God of the universe in your corner. The fact that we're having this conversation is because God's saying there's a, there's a huge battle that you're in. There's a real enemy, a powerful enemy. But listen, I'm telling you about the armor because you can be victorious. Here's the thing about the armor. The armor never loses. It never fails. But you've got to Obey it, not agree with it. And you got to put the belt of truth on first in obedience that I got to rid my mind of all these things that are telling me wrong things about who God is, which is the way I'm basing who I am and everything else around me. Not only is the God of the universe in your corner, you have a church filled with people around you who are willing to walk beside you and pray for you and encourage you and help you 
And some of you right now, you know that's your biggest problem. Is all you ever do is convince yourself that you're alone. And you're so resistant to seeking help. And it's all around you. And you just slowly die a slow death every day by yourself. And who have you said, hey, will you talk with me? Will you pray with me? Will you walk with me? How will you ever know that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you? The point of the belt of truth is that when attacks come, when they come, which they do constantly, it's the truth of who we are in Christ that's the foundation of our defenses. So we've got to understand that God has accepted you in the beloved. That's what Paul says earlier in Ephesians. He says, you've been redeemed. You've been bought with a price. You're part of God's family. You've been sealed with the Spirit. These are all true. And whether you believe them or utilize them or put the belt on or don't put them on, they're still true. It doesn't affect what's true. But here's the thing. You have to put the belt on. God doesn't put the belt on you. You have to do it. Which means you have to submit to God. Not agreement, but in obedience, you submit to God. And you say, no, the God who knows all things knows, he knows me. And he knows those thoughts that are in my head that are holding me captive. That's why Paul said, take every thought captive. See, the belt of truth is the practical application of us seeing God, seeing others, and seeing ourselves through the truth of the gospel. Now, have you heard this before? Wasn't it a couple months ago that for weeks, for weeks I went on and on and on and on and on about look up first, then out, then in to to establish your identity in Christ. Remember that? And if you get that out of order, you're going to be in a mess. Your identity in Christ is not based on you or how you feel. It's what God says about you. And then you look at other people who walk with God and love God, and that will then solidify what the Bible says about God, and then lastly, you look inside. Because you know what's not trustworthy? Your heart or my heart. It's not trustworthy. So what it means is that we don't play games. We don't play games with God because we're like Jesus. We're under orders. We have a, a, a relationship to God like Jesus has to God, a man under orders. We submit to God. Because God always has our best in mind. Always. Always. 
And it's the lies in your head that make you not want to trust Him. From the very beginning, Satan's first attack was deception. And mankind's first response was to hide, to deny, and to blame shift. And that's exactly what we do today. The belt of truth that begins with coming out into the light and being honest. See, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you this morning. Give you one, one lie to just start processing. You got to be honest about your past. You got to be honest about it. And you say, well, that's, that's all in the past. That's all under the blood. That's all then. You know, all, I'm not digging all that up. It's going to, that's your problem. That's agreement talking. Listen, you, you got to be honest with yourself about your past. We all do. You know why? Because it's our past. And we bring it out into the light. You can't appreciate who God has made you in Christ without being honest about everything God overcame to make you that. So I want you to think about this. We can't walk in who we are if we're hiding who we were. But why? Why, Pastor Tony? Why? I just... This this conversation makes me uncomfortable. Why? Because the truth of who we were is the glory of who He is. Do you know how I know how great God really is? Because I know how broken I really was. And the glory of God rests in the reality of everything He's overcome in my life and your life. And so the first thing we need to think about this week, why don't you start journaling your thoughts? Why don't you start really examining what are the lies that I believe? And what, what areas of my life do I relate to God in agreement and not obedience. What's up for what's up for grabs? See, you hear me say all the time. Well, I know we got to go. You hear me say all the time. We have free will. God created us autonomously. We each have free will. It's so true. But what does the Bible say about a Christian? What is the book of Romans? Doesn't it say that you once were slaves to sin, but now you're free? That's not what it says. 
You once were slave to, to sin, but now that you're saved, you're a slave to righteousness. Do you live like a slave to righteousness? Or do you pick and choose what you agree with and decide then what you're going to do or not do? That's why you don't have any victory. That's not a military mindset. That's the mindset of a person who's at peace, not in war. Let's stand and bow our heads.